Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is Alexis Ray Lopez. Alexis is a seasoned professional with a remarkable 10-year career in construction with an emphasis on roofing. Uh, and she has helped scale multiple companies as well as break into new locations across the country. Alexis's journey is marked with resilience, having triumphed over chronic health challenges and life-altering events, including a debilitating car accident. She's a true warrior when it comes to the space. Uh, beyond her roofing expertise, Alexis is dedicated to advocate, uh, a dedicated advocate to personal growth, empowerment as a speaker, business consultant, host of Evolving Truths podcast. Uh, she inspires individuals to rise above adversity, maximize their potential, and embark on transformative journeys of personal and professional growth. With all that said, Alexis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Super excited. Uh, it's always fun. Uh, you know, we're half in Arizona, half in Chicago. I, I'm there, which is hilarious because today I'm sitting in Chicago. Uh, but uh, this is a, a Chicago or a Arizona local now uh, from Colorado. So uh, Alexis, tell us, tell us your origin story. Tell us about you, what makes you tick, and then how you got into uh, construction and, and roofing. Sure. So I am a Colorado native that has zero cold tolerance. Uh, <laughs> grew up there, was raised there. Never really missed a winter until last year, which was my first winter in Arizona. And at the start of 2022, had transitioned after the car accident to a new position, was going through some relationship changes in my life, and really just decided it was time for a clean slate. I had had my heart and soul and mind really set on living in Arizona basically my entire life. Uh, my family lived here for like six months when I was in kindergarten, maybe nine months when I was in kindergarten. And I just remember like going back to Colorado, kicking and screaming. Now my parents may say like tell a different story, but that's what I imagine in my own mind. So basically since six years old, I've thought that I was going to live in Arizona. Finally, at the start of 2022, I was like, if I don't go now, I'm never going to go. So found a position that would allow me to transfer with the same company that I was with doing commercial roof sales at the beginning of 2022 out to the branch in Arizona. And now I've been here for a little bit over a year and a half or just about a year and a half. And I would say that it has been a lovely growth opportunity. My first like 15 months of being here, it's been a bit tumultuous, but I'm still here and I'm loving it. As far as construction goes, 
I was raised by a roofer, truthfully, and entrepreneurs. Both of my parents owned their own companies the majority of my life. And still to this day, my dad owns a commercial roofing company. And in 2013, I took on my first admin assistant position at a roofing company working for a project manager. I spent the whole summer like scanning safety books and putting those together really didn't do a lot to be truthfully honest. Like it was just one of those admin pusher, paper pusher jobs kind of thing. And then that project manager later became my dad's business partner. And when they first launched their company in 2014, I developed all of their initial marketing materials. So I actually had worked for a nonprofit previously, and I had learned about web design and web research and those types of things. And that gave me a leg up to be able to do Select Roofing Contractors' first website ideation. Now, I will say that they did eventually hire like a professional marketing company, and they have certainly leveled up from where we first started in 2014. But I went from admin assistant to marketing, finished my degree in finance and did a year in strategy and planning for a hospital, which I absolutely loved. But I was commuting back and forth between Denver or technically Aurora and Fort Collins, which was like an hour and a half drive. And I wasn't ready to move yet. Like I wasn't at that stage in my life yet that I was ready to leave my hometown. So after a year of commuting, I was like, I can't do this. Went back to select roofing contractors and said, will you guys take me back? And that's really where it kicked off. So I went into roofing sales for steep slope roofing, then transitioned over to distribution cut my teeth in distribution with commercial roofing. And I've been on the commercial side of things ever since. That's awesome. Wow. And the fact that you pivoted. So from sales to operations, like that, that transition could not have been easy. I've transitioned three times technically. So I went from sales to operations and then from operations back to sales after the car accident, just because what I was doing in operations and the details and responsibilities that I had basically just felt like it would be too much um, for what I cognitively could handle. And so since 2022, I've transitioned back over to sales. And I would say that I'm enjoying some of the freedoms that come with being able to just bring the project in, get it in the right hands. Like operations is a beast. And so operations is a beast and you have to have like relationships on both sides of the table. How did the, how did that transition like work? Because that's like a new set of, you know, it's a new set of relationships, right? Can you Your talk a stakeholders bit more change. Totally. So on the operations side, I was dealing with all of our internal operations, right? Managing our what was his title? I'm trying to think about it. Basically, he was our operations manager, really the guy running the trucks, taking care of all of that. But on the operation side of what I did was all of the administration. So making sure billing was taken care of, pricing was accurate, ordering materials. I did purchasing and project coordination. So all the details of like an actual roofing system. And in that position, not only was I working with our internal team, but then I also had the external stakeholders of the customers that I was serving 
and the manufacturers that we were partnering with. So learning how to work with a variety of different people, communicating on different levels. And I would say that that skill is important, but the most themed thing through all of it is just being able to remind everyone that we're working towards a common goal. Like if we're getting frustrated or if things aren't going right because it is inevitable in construction that something is going to go wrong and we just have to be solution oriented and know that we're going to work towards a yes answer, whatever that might be. And I think having that theme, having that trust in all of my relationships that I built with them really allowed me to excel, basically, because they knew I had everyone's best intention at heart. You know, you learn, and just for clarity, your parents, mom, dad, uh, they're in the roofing business as well. And you learned different things, from different skill sets from them. Were they on the residential side, commercial side, or both? Yeah, great question. So actually growing up, my parents owned a uh, residential and commercial window tinting business. And when they first started in window tinting, they also had an automotive shop. On top of that, my mom was in direct sales selling Tupperware, like the real Tupperware, the have at home party type Tupperwares. So I basically have been around direct sales, communication, customer service, literally my whole life. Like I was an only child that refused to go to daycare. And if I wasn't being left home with my grandparents, my option was to like go to work. And my hobby became playing secretary. Also, even when I was left with my grandma, my grandma was also the like distributor rep. So she put me to work too. Like I learned how to stamp letters because mailers were still a thing in the Mm -hmm. 90s, like at a very young age. All of that being said, circling back to what my dad's business is with commercial roofing, he is 90% commercial and they maybe have 10 to 15% of their business focused on residential. But the conversations can be very similar and very different at the same time. So you learned both B2B and B2C because of your parents. Um, Now, fast forward a a bunch of years, what's the, is roof is a roof, but not really. What's the big (laughs) difference between B2B versus B2C roofing? I love that. I also am so glad that you said like, oh, it's not just roofing because we could nerd out over this, how important it is. But as far as B2B in commercial roofing, I think the most important thing to understand is the value of what actually makes up your roof. So I shared this with you guys before, but your roof can actually make up 40 to 60% of your commercial building's value. And it's one of those things that literally your insurance carrier can decide to drop you if your roof is not in a good enough condition or if you're not maintaining it. So that being said, helping commercial building owners, property managers, facility managers know what the value is of their roof and how important it is to protecting all of the operations inside of that building is key. Then on the other side of the industry where it's B to C, I would say the most important thing on that side is empathy and really making sure that the homeowners or 
consumers, whoever you're working with, again, knows that you have your best intention to make sure they're taken care of. Roofing is a necessary counterpart to the insurance industry. And I don't want to insult any of my insurance friends because I do have plenty of those relationships and we work hand in hand together. But as a roofer, I also know that their goal is to pay out as little amount of money as possible for every claim. And so being able to build that relationship with the homeowner so that they can trust you and know that you're going to advocate for their roofing system, for their home, which protects all of their child's memories, their favorite outfits, the wedding dress, the photos and portfolios, like all of those things. I, I love taking care of it. And that's why it's so important. And I feel like when I can make them know that that's the case, they trust doing business with me. All right, wait, I want you to break this down for us. So when you told us this stat before, we were both like, what? 40 to 60% in the roof, like the whole the whole thing. So, uh, you know, lay out like how that works. Sure. So the roof is your first line of defense besides your walls and windows. And it honestly takes one of the biggest beatings from the elements. UV, wind, your body, or not your body, excuse me, your building um, expanding and contracting because of heating up and cooling down in the evenings. And so all of that being your first level of protection, being how much it's exposed to things, make up the value of the roof. Then on top of that, the size of your roof, as far as the square footage goes, creates a percentage of its value as well. So obviously, if you have a giant warehouse that you're protecting a bunch of things inside, that's going to increase the value percentage of what your roof asset is as well. Then on top of that, when you incorporate insurance, when you incorporate the fact that it's protecting every other trade, every other asset that's inside your building, that's where you can come up with the 40 to 60%. And also just so you guys know, I'm not totally blowing smoke. Like that number came from the NRCA, National Roofing Contractors Association. So all of their resources and research um, is really what I have used as a source to become like the roof nerd that I am. I love that you're a roof nerd because I think um, there's a there's a beauty uh, of of liking whatever the thing that you've been in, embraced in uh, to a level uh, of expert that is is um, just silly. Uh, you know, for most common people, they don't like they don't think about their roof unless there's a leak and then they're pissed. So like that's effectively you go from like just pissed off person from a leak in the roof to like oh no, let me explain to you like the the nuances of of how important a roof is and how you need to keep upkeep it and all the other aspects that come with that. So um, that makes tons of sense. And obviously, well, and for, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, you know, obviously from just learning all that you have from your parents, like uh, as well as just being in the industry for so long, like you, I I can't remember what you said, but at a really young age, you like sold your first uh, deal, like before you were like, or in your teens or something like that. Like just a kid. <laughs> Can you tell us that story? I thought it was a funny story. Yeah, sure. So growing up, like I said, I'd go to work with my parents, com commercial or residential roofing, or not roofing, commercial or residential window tinting, which meant we were going into like custom homes, nice custom homes. 
And I would hear my mom wax poetics on what window tinting was, the benefits of it. I hear the phone calls all the time. I went to the trade shows. Like I knew why we were tinting people's windows. Okay. And so at seven years old, I was in kindergarten or first grade and I had gone over to one of my friend's houses after school. Her name was Maddie. I'll never forget this. And walked into their house. They had this giant back wall. I feel like it's kind of a staple of the 90s to have like big windows in the new construction builds that just huge panes. Like I I just have the image in my mind, basically, in the living room, right, with the vaulted ceiling, what I'm trying to describe. And I told Maddie's mom, like, you should really tint these windows. It'll protect your hardwood. It'll protect your furniture. Like I went through my mom's spiel and my mom picked me up and basically like booked the appointment. She was like, so Alexis tells me that we need to get our windows tinted. And my mom's like, what? And yeah, they tinted that house like a week or two later and basically had my first sale for a commercial residential window tinting job at like seven years old. I hope your mom uh, paid a commission, even if it was only ice cream. There should have been some form of commission uh, to that one. <laughs> I mean, my parents did a great job, I think, teaching me the value of a dollar, especially being an only child. Like, it could have been very easy for them to not do that. But as I got older, anytime I wanted something, they'd be like, okay, so this is what you have to do. Like, you come to work with us being able to understand that the things that I got to do in my life came as a result of the days that they put in the hours they put in and I contributed to that. Like I would definitely say I got paid commissions in all of the things that I wanted in life. Awesome. Yeah. I know when we, we spoke to you in the the pre-interview, there was so many stories that you had and like, you know, as when I read your, you know, the intro in the beginning, it was like 10 years. I'm like, yeah, that's like 10 years of like official, but like it's also just been ingrained in you so deep because of your parents, which is just so cool. Um, well, and I have a hard time saying that to people like I what I actually most of the time tell people is that I have 15 years like entrepreneurial experience because in 2008, my mom started a youth non nonprofit sports organization and She was one of the executive directors. There was another executive director. And then I was their admin assistant. Like I was an executive admin assistant at 15. And we started that organization from scratch. And it's still running today, even though neither of them are involved. So basically being able to say, I'm 31 years old. I have 15 years entrepreneurial experience. I have 10 years in commercial roofing. And I have a lifetime in like sales. Mm-hmm. People look at me a little funny. <laughs> um, it's impre- super impressive to us. So I, I can't speak for others, but we, we think it's awesome. So uh, so tell us so tell us about um, your experience in roofing. So you you you, know, you start in the biz dev, you move into the operations role. I know that one of the companies that you work for in this time frame uh, scaled significantly out of Colorado. You op- you were like member number four in the company or something in in that shop. Uh, or in that location, and then uh, grew that. So, you know, obviously building scale. So let's talk about some scalability stuff. Uh, so what did, what did that look like? Talk to us about that. Sure. I love that. So working with startups and new processes, I would say has become a bit of a niche of mine. So 
the company that I was working for, they were new to the Colorado market. Like you said, I was the fourth one hired on to the team um, in the state of Colorado in 2018. And because of the rock star sales team that we had, I was on the operations side for this company. We exceeded our growth for the first year at seven months. So then because of how much we were selling, I would say our operational approach initially was just like whatever it takes to get it done, right? Like we're just it's, it's too successful. Like we're trying to uh, handle how well this is going. So then at the seventh and eighth mark, eight month mark, we had basically exceeded our capacity. We had signed a three or five year lease. I want to say a five year lease on the building that we were in and we had outgrown it. So basically then at that point, uh, I was charged with the task of getting the new building and location ready for us to move into. I got to project manage the entire build out. I got to basically design the office in a way that aligned with our culture and how we wanted the working space to look and all of that fun stuff. Also, it was a nightmare doing that as well as maintaining my full-time like actual job of managing the operations. But we just continued to grow and we did an amazing job of hiring the right people We did a really good job of setting expectations. And then as we grew, which every successful startup will hit this point where the fire drill of like, just get it done no longer works. Like you reach a point where that becomes a detriment to your business. And because of leadership's ability in that state to have hired people that were good at operations, we saw that need and we felt those pain points pretty rapidly just because of how much we were growing. So then kudos to upper management and leadership. They saw the ability to bring in an operating system like EOS. And we began to integrate that at the end of 2019. And once we started integrating that, I was on the leadership team for that. We were the first branches in that organization on the state level outside of headquarters that was integrating this operating system. So we really got to be the guinea pigs and figure out what would make it work on the individual levels. And having that starting to get in place, getting the operations to a place that was replicable and everyone could communicate on it and be held accountable and establish expectations, again, just continued to let us grow. And in the first five years, basically, they just hit the five-year mark, I think, this year or the end of last year. They broke over $100 million in that state um, alone. And to know that we started just in 2018 at zero is pretty cool to know that I was a part of that. That's awesome. Holy cow. Zero to $100 million in five years? That is crazy growth. That's like Salesforce growth. Yeah. And I mean... That sales team is outstanding. And I would say that that's in construction, particularly like the challenge, right? What's more important, operations or sales? Everyone's like, who chicken before the egg, right? Which one do you have to have before the other? And honestly, without a good system between both, it's just not 
it's it's the right combination. I would say it's not possible. It is possible because people do it all the time. But when you can find that magic combo, you're really in line for success. Yeah, uh, there's the frequent saying that, you know, sales cures all ails. But to the point of like, well, it doesn't if you sell so much stuff that you have to, you know, either break your five year lease or expand out and do it like, again, good problems to have per se, but does create problems like so it doesn't cure everything. No. And your sales team, like they also have to have respect for what operations is doing. And Mm -hmm. I think that that for my personal journey, as far as business goes, is something that has made me so unique is being able to understand both the sales lens and the operations side of I'm not trying to make my other team members jobs more difficult. But I also need everyone to understand like why what they're doing is creating a problem. And then if we can communicate about that, if we can alleviate that and get people out of the, well, I'm just going to do it this way for myself, you create a better like culture. Well, and probably to add to that, uh, this is how, you know, salespeople get a bad rap of saying that, you know, they're lying when it was, you know, sales says one thing, this is conferred with your operations team. This is what they could deliver on. And then when you say something and then operations can't deliver, like whose fault is that? Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. of course you get the brunt of it uh, on the front side. And this is how relationships can, and kind of the trust around relationships can get broken. So I, you've got a very unique perspective on being on both sides of the table and be able to essentially manage that. So kudos to you. Thanks. I also have had to be the person delivering those bad news, like the bad news of what my operations team couldn't deliver to that stakeholder. So like having that conversation and being like, I know this is what you were promised, but here's the reality and still trying to make sure everyone knows that we're marching towards yes and we're marching towards a solution. Uh <laughs> Let me just say that like getting out of operations, yes, was a result of my car accident and brain injury in 2021, but I had probably reached to the end of my fuse as well of just being able to have those conversations. Thankless job, uh, effectively. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. that's what it gets to. So uh, go ahead, Will. Uh, uh, you know, uh, one last question, because that growth is so incredible. What was it about Colorado that made this growth possible. Like you can't just like roofing. It's not like all of a sudden roofing industry was just all of a sudden, you know, was a thing. There were roofs in Colorado prior to 2019. (laughs) Totally. So Colorado is a unique market and it has its own little bubble around it for a few reasons. First and foremost, there's adverse weather. So Hail hits there pretty consistently. Everyone's counting on it. And on top of that, there's still snow. There's still regular rain. There's all the seasons that you need to wear and tear a roof more rapidly. On top of that, starting with the devil's lettuce, when Mary Jane became legalized in Colorado, it saw a huge boom in growth, infrastructure, all of that business is moving there. It became a more attractive place for big businesses to be. And people are still flooding to that state. So the construction industry really felt that in a positive way. And then on top of that, 
within distribution in Colorado, there was a need in the market and the leadership team that took on the opportunity of opening up this distributorship in the market just had it at the right time with the right people. And there had been enough pain points and enough relationships coming over with them that the market was ready for something new. I mean, that's, those are all, that's just really, it's like a tsunami. That's a wave right there. So some, someone very smart uh, looked at the market and went, Hey, maybe we can do something here. So yeah, great insight. Also the best part too, when I think of the conversations that I had with that leadership team and the close mentors that came out of being with that company, one of them still said to me, like, we had no idea that this was going to work. Right. Like we all just kind of went out on a limb. We decided to take a gamble. Like we didn't know if this was going to stick or if any distributor manufacturer was even going to open us up. Right. Like we had to have those battles. We had to have those conversations. People had to gamble on us. And then it was basically like us in the office, the original four or fab five that started like we had a chip on our shoulder and something to prove. And I think that that mentality just it was a really unique team and experience to be a part of. So, so you mentioned EOS, um, which were huge. So the spot migration size, um, we actually just had our leadership meeting this week. Uh, so we're, we're very, very much uh, embedded in as an EOS company. Um, so obviously you didn't choose this. This came down uh, from above you, but what, you know, what was your experience with the operating system and, um, you're an ops at the time. So kind of tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, my first take on the operating system was I was so stoked about it. Like being the operations in that company that was desperate for more structure, that was desperate for a clear vision, that was desperate for the tools of communication that come out of that um, and getting everyone rowing in the same direction. It was like, a blessing from above. Basically myself and I called in my work husband at the time, like we were just banging on the door of leadership that we needed something. And then EOS came down the pipeline and it was like answer to our prayers. So I was bought in without even really having to be sold on it. And then once we got into the model and I realized how much freedom and flexibility there was to create your own specifics within EOS, it just made us fall in love with it even more because we got to customize it to our culture and our business model and how our office and our LLC in the state of Colorado worked. But it was unique being a part of that trickle down effect. Like you said, I didn't choose it. I personally had buy-in and then going through the process of integrating it in the state across multiple branches with a variety of different personalities and mm, opinions as to how things can work was a, I want to say a very loving learning opportunity. That's a very kind way to put that Alexis. <laughs> I've been, I've worked on my professional maturity to be able to see like the challenges that we face as opportunities for growth and so i'm still you know continuing to work on my framework there no i uh i said this yesterday uh, i said um that person is uh odd and it's like that's just my nice way of saying like 
yeah, that person's like batshit crazy. Like, you know, <laughs> like in reality. Um, but uh, yeah, there's just a, a, a professionalism of uh, how it was uh, phrased. So, but one, uh, one question, obviously you've, you've gone to companies, scaled, opened up multiple locations. Now, uh, you know, you know, coming to Arizona, you started, you know, starting to do the process again and like all this stuff, you know, one question comes up is, why not uh, help help the dad's roofing go? Like, why not go down that path and uh, become the next uh, owner there? I love that question. And literally, Justin, when my dad listens to this podcast, if he listens to it, I swear he's going to call me afterwards and be like, so are you ready? Oh, um, hi, dad. So let's start there. Hi, dad. <laughs> we're super excited that you're listening to the show. <laughs> and I and, and I hope you can you take uh, you have some takeaways from that. I'm sure it'll be a great conversation. Exactly. <laughs> totally. No, I would say the biggest thing, honestly, I had and probably still if I wanted to have the choice for that opportunity at the beginning of this year, 2023, I was setting up to go back to Colorado and to step into a role that eventually would have led to that GM position and some succession planning in that case. But taking those steps was directly related to my health. And honestly, moving back to Colorado would have been because I wasn't working and I wasn't managing my symptoms and I wasn't really going to be able to keep affording my life. But then with the thank fullness and support and uh, care team that I was able to establish out here in Arizona. Um, I was able to get my symptoms under control. I was able to get back basically my quality of life. And that's what has allowed me to keep working out here in Arizona. So truthfully, besides my health, I just don't want to be cold anymore. Like I do not want to live in Colorado. I do not like I miss my family. I wish that I could move them to the state that I am happiest in. But it's just not for me, at least not in this chapter of life. Now, I'm in the same boat. Uh, I lived in Chicago majority of my life. Uh, and now as I'm sitting in Chicago office at the moment, uh, you know, being cold in a, in a polo and saying, like, I should really put my jacket on uh, <laughs> and it's only fall. So uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah, I I don't want to be cold anymore. I don't have to. I've realized that it's a choice I do not have to suffer with anymore. So we talked a little bit about this. How are you using technology to scale, help you scale, help you to be more successful. Talk a little bit about that. Totally. So pieces that I've integrated both into my personal life, keeping track of all of the passion projects and businesses that I work with and for, a huge one has been a project management software called Asana. And I work like Anyone that I end up working with, I basically just plug them into my Asana in the sense of this is where my life lives. And it allows me to switch between all of my different focuses very easily. And that's amazing. And on top of that, it also allows me to be able to put things down and walk away when my chronic symptoms do flare up. So then I can step away, go rest, do what I have to do to take care of my health. And then when I come back, it's like I haven't missed a step. So integrating that has been huge. The other thing that has really helped me is calendar management. And I would say even, for example, like recovering from my chronic health issues, 
back when my symptoms were controlling my life, I got used to kind of like time blocking or documenting in my calendar what I was doing in the day, because it would get to the end of the day and I would feel like I was lazy or I wasn't doing enough. And then I realized like, oh, I went for a walk and oh, I actually cooked for myself today. And oh, today was a day I did laundry. And I had to like give myself credit for those things. And as I kept doing that in my calendar, now a year later, after getting that under control, the things that I put into my calendar, I've kind of gotten used to that time blocking. So that has helped me as well manage multiple different things and knowing how to allocate my time resources and energy. So I live and die by my calendar. And then I would say the last tool that I have really come to love and integrate is chat GBT. Now I know that there is so much more capability for AI in my workflow, but at the moment using that large language model to be able to help like craft some emails or captions or just things that I used to have to put a lot of thought into. And now I can just kind of keep the same threads going and keep getting better and better outputs for what I'm trying to create has been awesome. Like I'm here for it. <laughs> okay. So for those that don't know, or have never actually are living under a rock uh, around ChatGPT, So let me go into this for a quick second. So large language models, uh, uh, is a version of AI around uh, and uh, specifically OpenAI created an interface called ChatGPT to be able to interface with essentially the AI. That was the interface. Really simple. These threads that you're talking about, every time that you open up ChatGPT, you can essentially sort of talk to it, okay? You give it prompts, okay? That's typically how, and so prompts could be everything from a question to you know, giving some sort of context and then adding kind of, hey, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. This is what I need. So an example is, I'm bad at writing emails. I'm trying to write this cordial email mail to prospect. Help me write this, right? And and then it'll like literally create these beautifully written emails. And then you can kind of chat back and forth to the AI saying, hey, it's not quite what I was looking for. I want to change it this way. And it changes the context. It changes whatever, right? So and so you're using, and so the large language model is just a way of interpreting that data down without getting into the nitty gritty details. It's essentially used a lot of data points out there to be able to replicate or reproduce a way of talking, okay, in in text form. So, uh, and if you're not using it, probably check it out. But I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say this word of caution here. Unless you get an enterprise license uh, for the company, anything that you type to the large language model to open a, uh, AI's ChatGPT, it is used to learn and modify in a way. Uh, so if you so don't put your company secrets in there, um, <laughs> because someone else can then go sort of search it up. Generic stuff like emails, th things like that, no problem. Be very mindful. Have a conversation in your company about it. If you're still not sure, talk to me. I'm talk. I can talk about this stuff for hours. Anyways, so you're using a so Alexis, you're using AI and you're doing these prompts. So we'll call it prompt engineering because that's essentially the terminology that's being used. You can say something. You know, you can say three different things, and you know, or say something three different ways, and you literally get three different 
outputs, right? Of whatever that looks like. So yeah. how much has it helped you speed up or if you were to even put a percentage on how much more productive you are, could you, could you put a number to it or, or a range? I don't, I don't know if I could put a number or a range to it. That's kind of hard for me to quantify. But as an example, I hosted a, a LinkedIn workshop in August. I did it for the ladies that are in my weekly accountability group because we're talking about how important LinkedIn is and utilizing social media. And I actually showed them how to use ChatGBT to complete their LinkedIn profile as like easily as possible because everyone knows or I can't say everyone knows many people who don't utilize social media, like setting up their profile, especially a profile for LinkedIn is like worst case scenario, or it's the barrier to them really getting started. So I was able to show them how to utilize this tool to make this step that normally is extremely difficult and people just stop at how to move past that. And basically I'm pretty sure two out of three ladies have already updated their entire profiles. Each one of them have been, integrating it into their lives in different ways. And I love hearing that from them. So that's probably my most quantifiable, like for the day-to-day user of how it could be used. But I would say ChatGPT is probably on the regular saving me five, at least five hours a week. So definitely worth the 20 bucks a month. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm on the, I don't even pay. I'm on the free one. Like I'm just using that baby as best I can. And I will totally say I have every intention of getting better at AI once I find more time in my schedule. Well, then there you have it. Uh, Even on the free version, which is just limited by how many prompts you can give in like a three hour, four hour or five hour time frame. So, but if you even ask like one or two questions, a lot of times those prompts are pretty impressive uh, on kind of the replies. So just be smart about or, or get smarter, right? Just interacting. You'll you'll get it. Uh, oh, yeah. And it's worth it, man. I can't even like, again, I can't say how worth it it is. <laughs> yeah. And as you, and to your point with the threads, like as you go and you use the same thread or the same, you know, uh, questioning, uh, because it's learning more about how you speak, it starts becoming more and more similar to your you just your tone and tonality and obviously making adjustments for that adding, you know, giving it references. That's another place where it's like, Hey, like this is an email that I did write that would give you a good understanding of how I write. So yeah, no, uh, super impactful. Uh, love that you're using it. Um, yeah. So, uh, we've got one more question for you, Alexis. Uh, we're really excited to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, and we might have to adjust it, but we ask every guest, if you go back 20 years, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself? Um, so that might make you pretty young. Um, so we might have to adjust that. But let's start with 20 years. If you go back 20 years, what would you tell yourself? Okay. If I were to tell my 11-year-old self, it would be that it would probably be to be more of a kid and that everything doesn't have to be a competition and that doing your best is enough. All right. Um, yeah, I guess if you sell your first deal at seven, 11, you know, you're already, 
you know, five years into your career effectively, uh, or four <laughs> years into your career effectively. Um, so what about uh, 10 years? Let's go 10 years back. So maybe a little bit more contextual for us. Sure. Okay. A uh, 21-year-old self, I would say to her that it's still not a race and I'm not behind by any means. And to just like stop and smell the roses a little bit more. All right. No, I love that. Uh, we, we will add all your social stuff, all the links into the notes uh, for the podcast. Um, if there's somebody that wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So... LinkedIn talked about that a lot. That's probably where I'm most active, but you can find me directly at alexisray.com. A-L-E-X-U-S-R-A-E.com. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, and then do you have anything else to tell the people before we uh, say our goodbyes? Oh, man. I don't know. I would say thanks for having me, first and foremost. Second, if there is anything in life that you are going through or is a little bit uncomfortable right now, I would leave you with the thought of leaning into it and just make the best of what you have. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, it's been great. We've had a great time uh, speaking with you today and hopefully our listeners had as well. So uh, listeners, until next time, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to Building Scale to help us reach even more people. Please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep keep building building scale. scale.